0: The only one who is bullish enough on electricity was Nikola Tesla. He's the only one. Electricity was a paradigm shift. If Bitcoin is a paradigm shift in economic substrate, then it will be impossible to understand what the world is going to look like in that scenario. So what you need to do is you need to adjust for ridiculous upside.
1: This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome in, folks. This week on BCB, Josh and myself, Dan, are once again joined by Christian Carolus, a.k.a. CK Snarks. CK is now the Director of Financial Freedom at the Human Rights Foundation. In this convo, we hit several extremely important themes on Bitcoin. In the first part, we cover why and where Bitcoin is a marvelous tool for the advancement of human rights. In the second part, starting at roughly the 40-minute mark, we have a raw and passionate convo about ordinals, inscriptions, BRC20, and the true essence of keeping Bitcoin's censorship resistant. CK closes this one by walking through three potential outcomes for Bitcoin, and why even Bitcoiners may not be prepared for the significance of this paradigm shift. For those that want to donate to the Human Rights Foundation and CK's work, we have a link down in the show notes. There is an enormous amount of discussion right now about the Bitcoin ETFs. Yes, the securitization of Bitcoin will likely beckon in a significant amount of capital, but please take time to remember what makes Bitcoin truly special and empowering. And one of those key factors is the ability to possess it in its bearer form. Don't let Wall Street be your daddy. Choose not to own just a Bitcoin IOU. Own the real thing. To accomplish that, you need to hold your own private keys to spend your own UTXOs. And there's no better way to do that in our estimation than with the most trusted hardware wallet on the planet, the cold card. The cold card is Bitcoin only. It's ultra secure. It's easy to use. It can be truly air gapped, and it stood the test of time. You can use code BCB, that's BCB for a juicy discount on cold card at coinkite.com. Or even better, follow our affiliate link down in the notes for discounts on a variety of coinkite products, including the block locks. And lastly, you can also use code BCB for 10% off tickets to the Bitcoin 2024 conference in Nashville this July. If you're going, Go ahead and get these puppies. They're only gonna get more expensive. CK, we just we just tracked a couple of jokes that we were kind of ruminating on before you joined.
2: Nice. And we decided jointly that uh, they're probably a little too spicy for this thing. But it's it's unfortunate because there's some places we could go. You probably wouldn't appreciate, and they wouldn't either. So we're
1: gonna let it. We're gonna let it be. Believe it or not, <laughs> Christian, we censor heavily on this show. Like People imagine, oh, these guys are unfiltered and they let it go. It's like, no, this is, this is dumbed down Josh and Dan. There's a lot that can't fly on here that, that could behind other confines, but we try, to, we try to loosen the belt as much as humanly possible. Wouldn't you say, Josh? Push the boundaries? I would say, yeah. I would say. This is a safe
0: space. This is a safe space. You guys can be yourselves.
2: It is. It is before it gets onto the wider interwebs when every woke asshole has to make a comment about how we make fun of throwing midgets at targets or something, you know? That really got to us, Josh. That one. I know that yeah. one really did bother me because I was like, "That wasn't even our joke. We were referencing a joke from a fucking movie, and yeah. this is going to trigger you." Like you, you're so thin skinned and weak. Anyway, I digress.
1: Hopefully, we call the herd. You guys have internet haters now. Oh, uh, just a couple. You made it. Good job, gentlemen. <laughs> Some people really take it upon themselves to waste a considerable amount of time sending random podcasters emails. It's quite something. When you think about, wow, this person put the time and effort in to, to tell us this, you know? And I also, here's the other thing that I think is a little, this is true of probably any sort of podcast, but you've got a huge percentage of our listenership that knows the two of us by this point, right? It spends a lot of time with us, understands how we're wound, what we joke about, but you have a lot of people. That step in just to listen to one guest, right? They see a name come through on the feed and they say, I want to listen to that one. And they know nothing about the two of us. And then we're spouting off all kinds of nonsense. Like one, one piece of feedback we get is these guys talk way too much. And it's like, well... Really, what we're doing here is putting our slippers on, walking in our basement, and having c- fun conversations with people. So it, it, it is what it is. Like this is way less fun for us if we're not contributing to the conversation and just sitting here and asking you eight questions and then going on with our day. And I'm right. sure you, I'm sure you and most guests feel the same, right? If you just come on here and get asked a deck of six questions and a dude talks for one minute, that's less fun than carrying on an actually organic conversation.
0: I mean, I love your guys' show. So a big fan. So uh, thank you all for for having me on uh, again. Appreciate it, and uh, excited to uh, talk about what I'm doing these days, as well as uh, you know, talk about Bitcoin and uh, and uh, the Bitcoin community, the English speaking Bitcoin community that we uh, spend so much of our time with.
1: We are stoked to have you. Seriously, been looking forward to this one. We've been trending your big career move. We're excited for you. We've always had a ton of respect for you and the work you've done. So why don't we start, just, just give us a quick, this transition. You went from Bitcoin Magazine to HRF. Careful,
2: Careful with the word transition.
1: I, I feel like yeah. maybe we
2: should use a different word. I've transformed.
1: The, the, move, the move, the move, big yeah. move, big move. Took me off guard, bold play. What, what was the decision process behind that? CK.
0: Yeah. No. Um. You know, was at Bitcoin Magazine for five and a half years. Uh, a bull market, two bear markets, and uh, in a bull market, and you know, it just felt like it was time to do something different. Um, Bitcoin Magazine is definitely uh, a super fun company to work for. Uh, it has changed and given me like tons and tons of opportunity. Um, But at the same time, it's definitely a company where everyone burns the candles at both ends. And, uh, Mm. you know, it's just tough to do that for a long time. So I just needed something like slightly different in life. Um, And I thought that Bitcoin Magazine was in a really good position to move on without me. Uh, So, you know, three years ago, I definitely would not have said that Bitcoin Magazine is in a good position to move on without me. You know, I was actually trying to get more responsibility because I I thought that the magazine needed me more, um, if you will, and the conference needed me more. But, uh, you know, this this past summer, um, I was feeling like I needed something new. And I was also feeling like they needed something new. They needed to move away from me and, you know, let some of these other folks, other leaders um, have an opportunity. So um, seemed like a win win, you know, help them kind of transition me out, if you will. Uh, really long offboarding process. You know, try to do it super squeaky clean. And uh, yeah, I'm still a huge, huge supporter of of what they're doing. Excited to be at their conference in uh, in Nashville. And um, yeah, I started putting out some some feelers. And uh, Glasstein, who I worked with, uh, you know, at Bitcoin Magazine, helping him publish his articles, helping him publish two books, um, deliver some incredible keynotes, uh, make some incredible videos. Uh, he was like, hey, you know, we need to team up. You know, our collabs are the best. So, um, you know, he gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. And, uh, you know, the work that uh, HRF is doing in the Bitcoin space, I think is super, you know, exciting and super tangible. Um, so, just been getting my hands dirty for the last like four, four months or so.
2: So, Dan and I get a little bit of a taste of what it must be like to work for a Bitcoin company. Very tertiarily, we rub shoulders a little bit with you know you bunch at the conferences we talk to people and we get the feeling that working at a bitcoin company is one hell of a roller coaster ride i mean obviously this asset is just as much of a roller coaster ride but when you're mm. meaningfully attached at the hip to it in your you know assets plus you're working in bitcoin yeah that's got to be one hell of a ride up and down i mean the the upside is it's obviously meaningful work the people that are doing it love it and that's incredibly important it's world-changing stuff, but the culling that goes on in the bear markets is just brutal. Like the Sickles just walks around from place to place and just axes people. I'm not just talking about BTC Meg. All of these companies across the board just ride this crazy tidal wave up and down over these four-year periods. Give us a little taste of just how crazy that is to kind of be involved with.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, you know, almost all these companies are startups uh, and even the ones that aren't startups, you know, usually it's like a skunk works project within a bigger company or something like that. So a lot of startup energy and vibes. So anyone who's in, been involved in startups, it's not like working for the fire department. It is right. a very, very small, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely not made for everyone. And then on top of that, you strap it on top of it. So uh, a lot of Bitcoin startups, you know, want to get cute and go all in on Bitcoin and, then they realize, you know, when you have salaries denominated in dollars and Bitcoin's tanking, it stops working that well. Um, at the same time, you know, this past startup cycle or, or, or bear cycle or whatever, uh, you had Silicon Valley Bank go down. So it's like, then everyone who was like, oh, well, we're going to have all of our treasury and, and, you know, traditional finance, you know, then they're like, oh, why wasn't I holding Bitcoin? So it's like, you, you know, heads you lose, tails you lose. Um, so it's definitely very difficult to manage. Um, I would say, like, you need fiat for your fiat to liabilities. And then you, you know, holding Bitcoin, have, being cash flow positive, having a Bitcoin treasury definitely can be a superpower as long as you have the cash flow, as long as you're covering your yep. liabilities that are, are fiat denominated. That's super, super important lesson. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely not made for everyone. I would say for the vast majority of people who are, like, super passionate about Bitcoin, probably the best thing to do is fiat mine and then um and Absolutely. stack ads and stay yeah. private maybe find anonymous ways to contribute um but if you just have the urge to you know be publicly within the bitcoin space the the ecosystem uh is definitely an iron sharpens iron type of a place to be and uh i find the like i i just hated fiat mining so if you just can't stand fiat mining then uh you know Jump into Bitcoin. It's it'll definitely make you uh, give you a lot of skills, uh, make you a uh, a lot better of an operator, uh, someone who can work in startups, etc.
1: Mm. Yeah, we've gone on some diatribes on this show before, <coughs> Christian, about actually discouraging uh, a lot of people from working full time in Bitcoin. We come from that different lens where we do really appreciate doing something that we're passionate about and we enjoy, and then doing this on the side and that. I celebrate the shit out of anyone that's dedicating their full-time energy to Bitcoin, but we also come in with a caution and say, let's just take Bitcoin financial services. Bitcoin is very definancializing. It's totally open. It's totally permissionless. It's ruthlessly competitive, ruthlessly competitive, maybe unlike any other financial sector in history, if we were to just take that. So be caution. Like, what's hot today may not be tomorrow. Innovation can move quickly. And this protocol provides a lot of access away from the pros. And so it's going to disintermediate a lot of pros if, if we just take that. Andy Edstrom has said something to the effect of, if you're unsure whether you're a fit working full-time in Bitcoin, don't work full-time in Bitcoin. Like If you think you're really filling a hole in a niche and, and, and really... Innovating in a way that's substantive, go for it. Otherwise, develop a skill set or a passion or just stick with something that keeps the lights on and stack some sats. Yeah.
2: CK, what you just said about companies, you know, holding some fiat, cash flowing in fiat, I think that's just as important to impart on people that are just individuals. Because if you're going and YOLOing all of your resources into Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes through, you know, you just happen to time that completely wrong and y- you could get completely. Basically, like you're going to have to sell some of that Bitcoin at the worst possible time to cover some of your expenses. That's not a situation you want to put yourself in. So, that's just generally good advice for Bitcoiners. Um, it, you know, you should be as heavily into this as you want, but you should also keep in mind that cash flow is very important and you're going to have bills, and most of those are going to have to be paid in fiat. So,
1: don't overextend yourself. Well said. Let's talk about. The Human Rights Foundation, but maybe let's start even before that. Let's start human rights more broadly as pertains to Bitcoin. My mom was here for Christmas and she's increasingly interested in this podcast as it's not going away. It's not, it, it's, we're three years deep. It's no longer something stupid that, that Dan yeah, started. It's like Dan's, well, okay, very, this is, this is, Dan's this. very
2: adept at flights of fancy. You know, he starts a podcast, <laughs> then he starts playing guitar, <laughs> then he thinks he's a golfer. Like it's, he's all over the place. Yeah, let's play golf. <laughs> That's actually not true. And Josh, actually one of my... I'm, I'm very much making that up, but Dan just can't take a joke. So he's got to say it's not true.
1: The reason I'm going to say this and, and defend myself <laughs> on this front is actually this has turned into like an orange pill opportunity because both my folks know that I'm i am actually very non-impulsive. I don't try shit out. I do shit for a long time. I stick with it. And so... Except for gambling. You're right. Yeah. Degenerate there. Um, So like... The fact that I've been interested in Bitcoin for over six years, the fact that this podcast didn't go away four months in and it's been going on three years, this is an angle at which they're starting to pay a lot more attention to Bitcoin just because of investing in my own personal experience. Anyways, the main point I was making was my mom is now when we're together, she'll be like, oh, who are you talking to next week on the podcast? And I said, well, it's a guy from the Human Rights Foundation. And she kind of got the look. My dad was there too. And it was sort of this like, what does Bitcoin have to do with human rights? That sounds ridiculous to somebody that knows a lot about Bitcoin, but from a public perception standpoint, I think that question stands and is probably on the top of the list for most people that might hear this conversation. What does Bitcoin have to do with human rights? And then feel free to talk about what inspired you to go work at the Human Rights Foundation.
0: Yeah. So great question. And I think it's definitely one of the most ironclad pros of Bitcoin and narratives around why Bitcoin that, uh, is heavily, heavily underused and heavily, heavily underacknowledged. Um, and I think Gladstein has done an amazing job telling these stories. So ultimately, you know, you don't have freedom without the freedom to transact. Like freedom of speech doesn't matter if all of your buying power that you've accumulated or that your following wants to give you or whatever gets frozen uh so it is absolutely fundamental um if you look at the truckers rally um it was a great example of how that rally got squashed first with the banking lockdown and then you know by just sending unmarked police into uh into the area and just forcibly removing people um you know money is absolutely absolutely vital in the 21st century, especially as we're going digital, we're moving like gold and cash are kind of inherently permissionless and, uh, and censorship resistant. Um, so as we move into this world that, you know, we need high velocity electronic money, we need something that carries the, the value of cash. There's a great video. HRF has been putting these great videos together, kind of explaining these points so I can share that with you all and you can put in the show notes or whatever um but talks about like why cash is so important and then you know obviously mm-hmm. moving into the cash of the future hrf believes that's bitcoin uh, you know first thing that dissidents happen to dissidents is their bank account gets frozen you know that is xi jinping's that is vladimir Putin. N- name the dictator that is their mm-hmm. it's the easiest thing for them to do put some pressure on the bank freeze their electronic payments freeze their bank accounts freeze their assets even nation states can get their assets frozen and uh, get their their digital value frozen. So, um, you know, Bitcoin changes the, the landscape for everyone. And Gladstein says this, and it's incredible, you know, and it's completely true. Bitcoin is a great tool for the little guy, especially at this state, right? Like Bitcoin's not big enough to like help a nation state evade sanctions. It's just not big enough. But it's a great tool for a little guy right now. Mm-hmm being able to accept money without permission. You know, you can think of someone who knows enough about Bitcoin to generate uh, a seed using, you know, random entropy that they can create with dice or words or whatever. You know, things that, you know, you don't even need a computer, although it helps a lot to have a computer. Um, You know, this is a very permissionless way to accept value, send value, um, etc. And we think that it absolutely changes the game for people who are victims of totalitarianism.
1: Well said. One question I have is how many other human rights organizations are focused on this? I mean, we've tracked Gladstein a lot and Human Rights Foundation and Oslo Freedom Forum and all this stuff. Now that you're kind of swimming in these waters, how many other activists say domestically here in the US and internationally are really starting to pay substantive, meaningful attention to, to Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, we're still super early. And uh, it's not a surprise that HRF is there early because historically they've been super cutting edge uh, and that's how they've kind of built their edge. They're actually a newer human rights organization and they have a pretty unique strategy that we can talk about. But uh, part of what they've done is they've always been like technology forward. And because of that, they've gotten into Bitcoin. They've been holding Bitcoin as a treasury asset for many years. You know, Now we're going on three years of doing this program And it's actually scaling into something that is like really meaningful. So, um, yeah, I mean the, we're still super early. Um, but with that being said, like people are waking up to it, you know, there's a lot of human rights organizations that are accepting crypto now, right. They're using it as a way to like get funds in they, they haven't bridged into like, this is actually the way to distribute aid. Like this is actually Mm -hmm. the way to, um, get money to people immediately um i think ukraine with that breaking out and like all the press around how fast the crypto donations came in and how they were the first things to start helping um ukraine in it its counteroffensive if you will uh, i think that that was a very uh overton window shifting thing um but yeah i mean hrf is still super cutting edge and that's given hrf a really big edge too because like the bitcoin space is maturing and Bitcoiners want to support organizations that are supporting, you know, open source Bitcoin and community and education across the globe. And there's, you know, there's HRF, there's OpenSats, there's Brink. Uh, I'm not sure if you can actually support um, uh, ChainCode Labs. Um, I'm not sure if you can support Blockstream, you know, but I mean, there's not that many organizations that are doing this. There's even fewer that are doing it in a tax deductible way for Westerners. So. Um, you know, HRF is kind of, you know, the only game in town and, uh, it just shows how early we are, but every human rights organization, just like every energy production organization, every internet organization, every government, all of them will adopt it, you know, just like everyone has a website. So that's, that's the trajectory that we're on.
2: Yeah. This is such an important narrative because The mainstream likes to propagate how this is used by criminals. And, you know, that was more true in the distant past with things like the Silk Road when Bitcoin was more formative and people actually thought it was more anonymous than it actually is. But when things like, you know, the HRF using this to help dissidents in foreign countries escape oppression, when that kind of a narrative is propagated, which obviously we are huge proponents of, we want to see that propagated as far and wide as possible to kind of counteract this whole criminal. Uh, angle that a lot of people like to take. But it is interesting that both criminals and organizations that are helping the oppressed are on the leading edge of this technology for the same reasons. They can kind of work their way around the government tentacles that are in everything. And so for whether good or bad, these technologies allow people to maneuver away around governments and especially the smaller, like the North Koreas of the world, and even the, the CCP, which if there's anything out there that's going to have a real chance of stopping something from moving in or out of their country, it's probably the CCP. They're technologically far more advanced than any of these other oppressive regimes
1: that are out there. So, and they're not able to stop it either, which is encouraging. It's a it's a much deeper layer than probably a lot of your peers at other organizations are, are thinking it is. In the sense that, as you alluded to, their thought is, "Oh, this is how we could fund dissidents." Right. Well, it's no, it, this could fundamentally fix a lot of the base layer shit that's causing the problems to begin with. Like, I think one of my greatest hopes for Bitcoin is that it really limits autocratic government overreach, brings people out of poverty, and empowers and enables those in the third world that don't have opportunity to have economic opportunity. We're talking about not just funding groups that are protesting. We're talking about potentially upending and changing opportunity in general for disenfranchised groups around the globe. It is, it is a huge deal, but like many things in Bitcoin from a human rights perspective, you start by just barely gapping that door, getting a wedge in there, and then that's going to eventually enable you to, to bust the thing wide open. CK,
2: do you have any stories from HRF that you've, you've been there for a little bit? I want to know about some of the cool dissident stories of people that you guys have successfully helped escape. I think most of us are familiar with Yoomi Park from North Korea. Did I pronounce that right? By the way, is that how you say
0: it? Yun Park. Park? Uh, that Park. I may have Park. not pronounced it, cor- it correctly either, but uh, she's incredible. She's one of the most famous North Koreans.
2: Yeah. Do you have any other stories similar to that in that vein that HRF has successfully helped people out of those situations?
0: Oh man. I mean, there's, there's infinite stories like that. Um, so just like, I guess a little bit more background on HRF. So HRF, the organization, we are focused on helping activists specifically in dictatorships. So there's a lot of human rights organizations that operate in the West and you can like see like a global human rights organization will spend like 60% of its budget in the U S or Europe. Um, and then in the, the places that, you know, effectively have the least human rights, they, they just can't spend their, their effort there. So HRF takes all democracies off the table. We're like, there is civil society there. They, can, they mm-hmm. can handle their own shit. You know, one of our key markers of, you know, is this democracy a real democracy? Because everyone has voting. Everyone has elections. Um, is can you make money criticizing the government? So in places where you can make money criticizing the government and you're still free, you still have a bank account, you know, you can do your thing. You know, we're going to let you do that. In the places that you can't, that's where we're going to focus. So um, HRF has a bunch of different programs. Like the key pillar of what we do is we, you know, we pretty much just have lawyers employed to get people out of jail that have been wrongfully detained and get people asylum in safe places um so if you go to the oslo freedom forum that's like 95 percent of what you see is people telling those stories heart-wrenching stories uh before i joined hrf i went to oslo this past year and gladstein is like were you in the theater the whole time i was like bro i can't be there openly weeping like i have to like take breaks and like you know because it's just so insanely emotional Uh, so um i encourage people to go to oslo freedom forum's youtube tons and tons of stories of what amazing work, you know, kind of the legal policy uh, people that work for HRF do. And, you know, again, th- you know, this is just like, imagine like, you know, 30 lawyers who that's all they do is like, get people out of jail, get people asylum. Uh, other programs are, you know, we have the, the financial freedom program, which I direct. Uh, we have, uh, we have programs that are focused on sports and dictators and like sports washing uh, what like Saudi Arabia is does they they're like the kings of sports washing you know they get involved in PGA yep. they get involved in all this um, all this like Western sports teams they buy them they they do they advertise all this stuff they get their money involved and they try to make their reputation look more Western they try to attract Western investment and money uh, but on the back end they still use slave labor they still do horrible things there's still no freedom of speech there. There's no, uh, there is no, there is no, you know, they're second class citizens there. Men and women are not treated equally. And, you know, if you can't even treat men and women equally, then you're not going to treat other minorities that have even more, um, you know, outside perspectives. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of programs that are geared towards like shining a light on that kind of stuff, shining a light on slave labor and the clothes that we wear. Uh, so we actually have like a, Plugin that you can uh, install on Chrome, and it'll tell you if you're shopping somewhere if it's tracked back to Uyghur forced labor. Um, so, like these are the all all the different kinds of programs that HRF does, including you know one of the programs, one of the most cutting edge programs, the most interesting one in my opinion is we're heavily involved in the Bitcoin community uh, with the Financial Freedom Program. So, um, you know, there's tons of stories there where people have used Bitcoin to uh, bring their wealth with them. Uh, Roya Maboud's story is an incredible one that Gladstein highlights, but you can go to bitcoinmagazine.com on Gladstein's author profile, full of all of these stories for free. You can also purchase his books, uh, Check Your Financial Privilege. That's, that that book is like 10 uh, freedom stories with freedom in Bitcoin. So, um, you know, just really, there, there's endless stories. One of my jobs coming from, you know, new media to, uh, you know, nonprofit focused on Bitcoin Is to tell these stories better So um, we're going to be doing that And uh, one of the things that we're doing To kind of like create a resource For folks like yourself To be able to tell these stories as well Is we now have a newsletter Uh, So it's the Financial Freedom Report Uh, It goes out every Thursday This week it's New Year's uh, First week of the year so it's coming out on Friday But it comes out every single week Um, And that is like a no BS Like here's what happened in freedom And human rights this it, our financial freedom and human rights and bitcoin this week uh so this is like there were scammers in this country uh there were uh there was lockdowns or financial freedoms in this country that were taken away you know there was a data leak uh from this company like this big important bitcoin update came out so uh really no bs high signal uh newsletter and Uh, you know, that's kind of the beginning of telling these, uh, these freedom stories better.
1: Badass, badass. You guys have been dishing out some, some serious money here for grants. I think in the ballpark of 500K, maybe hit some highlights of things you're funding and excited about from a freedom perspective.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let, I want to talk about the Bitcoin Development Fund. I guess, let me just zoom out really quick, not to evade your question, Dan, but let me uh, talk about what the Financial Freedom Program is. So, the Financial Freedom Program is HRS Bitcoin Program. Um, Effectively, what we are doing is we are um, funding Bitcoin development and community efforts with the Bitcoin Development Fund. So, that's a fund that is prepared to and is planning on giving $2 million in 2024 to a host of different uh, efforts in in the form of grants. So we can talk about that. Um, For the past year and a half, we've been giving half a million dollars every single quarter. So that's kind of scaled up as the fund has been able to generate more backing and funds to organizations that are making Bitcoin more accessible for dissidents, whether that is developing the UIs and the tech. uh, Xiaomi and eCash multi-sigs, phone wallets, encrypted messaging, you know, attached to what you're doing in Bitcoin, Nostra, et etc. Um, whether that's, you know, we're translating everything that's in English into other languages, into niche African languages, into, you know, there, I don't know if people know this, there's like 15, 20 languages in India. You know, uh, there's, so there's, there's so much translation work that we need to do on the wealth of Bitcoin knowledge that already exists. Um, just hand-on community efforts. We have those, like, in-person meet spaces in, in the U.S. with Bitcoin Park, Bitcoin Commons, but they actually exist around the globe. We already saw the power of one of them in El Salvador, Bitcoin Beach, as a circular economy. We're, we're trying to get more of those started. So um, that's what the Bitcoin Development Fund is focused on. On top of that, we're doing education. On top of that, we're doing different like semi-private and public uh, events and retreats uh, to try to move things forward in Bitcoin. Um, so We're doing a lot of different things, you know, just focused on Bitcoin. But like you said, the biggest one is the Bitcoin Development Fund. Um, And yeah, we just uh, we just did our Q4 grants uh, right before. I think it was like right between Christmas and uh, and New Year's. So um, or right before Christmas, it was right before Christmas. Um, So, you know, that's always an exciting time. Uh, A lot of amazing uh, kind of press that's now going to the actual projects that we picked. Um, So a lot of really awesome projects. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of new inbound come in as well. So if you are working on Bitcoin, making it more accessible in the areas I mentioned, you know, you can go to our site, hrf.org forward slash dev fund, and you can find uh, our form. You can fill that out. And uh, if you fill it out and we reject it, you know, if there's legs to your proposal, we'll give you feedback. If there isn't, you know, there's nothing stopping you from shooting again. So um, you know, our focus is making Bitcoin. You know, we're not going to try to fund a mining operation in the U.S. We're trying to make Bitcoin as accessible to people who are living in our target demographic for in our target audience for HRF, which is totalitarian regions. So, a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, countries, a lot of African countries, uh, a lot of countries in you know in the East. Uh, the, they all are kind of in this category right now. So a lot of you know arabic speaking countries that's who are trying to help as much as possible because by the numbers they're ignored and that's what hrf that like that is one of hrf's key differentiators and honestly one of its key uh benefiting factors is that we're so effective is because we focus on the places that don't have anyone else and we're allocating all of our resources there
2: very cool
1: uh, you can expect to see our application. What did we put in for 300K in Q1 2024, Josh? Yeah, so, I think roughly uh, just under that. We didn't want the sticker shock of 300.
0: Yeah, that, that's like 60% of
1: our uh, our quarterly uh, grant spend. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to the app. Hey, it's headed your way. There are some firefighters, Josh will agree. We're lucky to be in a very, fairly free environment, but there are some totalitarian chiefs and administrations there out there, Josh. We can power those, those brothers and sisters to rise up with, the, with Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe 300 was a little aggressive. Two to 300K CK, free that up for BCB. I think that's reasonable. Yeah.
0: Pre- I appreciate y'all uh, getting the firefighters to donate. It's tax deductible.
1: 2024 is a new year. Generosity. Great topic to bring up here. There's a lot of people listening that are very bullish on Bitcoin and expect they're going to be extremely wealthy. Don't hoard that all for yourself. Look for opportunities to be generous not just from a tax advantage standpoint, but out of the goodness of your heart and because you believe in this technology, can't think of a better place to send some sats than Human Rights Foundation. We've talked to a couple people that have been the recipients of these grants. Amazing projects. They're doing awesome work. Hat tip, my friend. And hey, m- making Bitcoin
0: more accessible to people in totalitarian regimes also makes Bitcoin better and more accessible to everyone. So this is especially true on the app layer, but one of our favorite projects, one of the projects that was an early win that Gladstein brought on, you know, that Gladstein I was able to support before I joined was Sparrow Wallet. So Sparrow Wallet, I think, is, uh, you know, the world's probably best desktop wallet. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great ones yeah. out there, but think Sparrow so. Wallet is definitely one of the best ones. And uh, that was a great opportunity for HRF to find an early project, support that project, and that helps everyone.
1: We had dinner with Keith McKay recently. He was talking about the potential of some seed signer partnerships, things like this of people, you know, that you're aware of that are harnessing their talents and abilities with the capital you're providing to empower people that need it the most. It's cool as hell. I
0: mean, seed signer is one of my favorites from this most recent grant round. So that went out this past, uh, this past quarter. Um, but just long story short, seed signer is probably the most advanced build it yourself signing device. Uh, but Seed Center is effectively built from the grand, from the ground up for a specific Raspberry Pi chip. And while that made a lot of sense when the project was in its infancy, it's gone to a point now where Raspberry Pi itself could become a massive um, bottleneck for Seed Center to actually reach its goal of getting these devices in people's hands. So what uh, the most recent grant to SeedSigner is enabling Keith to do is he actually gets, a, it's a modest grant, you know, um, not that huge of a grant, but, I, you know, I guess he lives frugally enough that this is going to give him a year uh, of salary or his living costs so he can focus on refactoring all of SeedSigner's code for open source chip designs. Um, so that That's way awesome. SeedSigner is no longer bottlenecked by, by, you know, being constrained to Raspberry Pi chips You can do it on Raspberry Pi, but you can do it on all of these other chips, including ones that you can actually fabricate yourself. If for whatever reason, it's easier to do that. If you have a chip (laughs) fab in your house. Than to buy it. (laughs) But it it could make sense. Like, hey, maybe in the future, businesses will build their signing devices based on this open source designs and software that's that's all out there. So again, this is something that helps Bitcoin become more accessible especially to people who can't just go buy a cold card online um but it also helps all the bitcoiners at the same time uh, and it might help bitcoin businesses so i, I love that example
1: the, also i just wanted to throw in the reason makai is living so frugally is we've got him uh set up at the firehouse he's up in the mezzanine <laughs> uh with an s19 we're keeping it warm it keeps him warm and fed yeah Ck, he came to the firehouse. Josh and I were working together. We fed him some steak, and he's—I love it. To my knowledge, he's the only one in the space that's infiltrated the confines. So, wow, dude, he's a great
2: guy too. Like he hung out for like four hours. That that is epic. And it was like we knew the guy forever. Like we've met him at conferences and stuff. But he hung out. He meshed in well with the group of dudes we were there with. Was it was a lot of fun. Hey, I want to ask you this. This is a joke, obviously, but kind of pseudo serious. You guys have any cloak and dagger stuff going on? Like, are you trying to spring? Julian Assange out of his uh, spot in Britain right now to make sure he doesn't get his head chopped off in America what what can HRF do if anything do they have any resources devoted to helping his plight at all
0: uh, so you know I don't know everything that you know we're doing on the kind of advocacy side and the side of you know getting people who are wrongfully detained out um, Gladstein did speak about Julian Assange at the most recent Oslo Freedom Forum uh, historically, you know, HRF has not focused on, you know, let's call it the wrongful humanitarian acts of the West. Again, a lots of organizations are doing that. Not that we don't all have our own opinions, just mm. kind of our organizational scope has been constrained outside of the West. Uh, but I do know that we support Julian Assange um, and, uh, you know, there could be efforts to help. I just don't know. At Bitcoin Magazine, you know, I worked on everything. I was a COO. And then here at HRF, I'm really trying to stay in my lane on just the Bitcoin stuff, uh, because HRF does a lot of stuff, including a lot of the, the you know kind of legal, kind of grunt legal work that's needed, and resourcing that legal work, uh, you know, for a lot of this stuff. Mm. And I'm just, I'm just not abreast of that stuff.
2: I think we need to fund uh, some ex Navy SEALs to go over there and spring them. That's the only way this is going to happen. Bitcoin special forces.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs>
0: fucking... I, I think um people said that like uh Assange and uh, Russell Albrick unfortunately are kind of like uh they're kind of like these litmus tests if you know like the the Bitcoin uh, intelligentsia is, has has become in charge <laughs> really uh because you know once once like the Bitcoin culture has gained enough influence to kind of release these you know turning into martyrs, unfortunately, of kind of like freedom and free speech and Bitcoin. Um, you know, unfortunately, it seems like that's the position that they're in right now. So, uh, you know, my heart goes out to them. Yeah.
2: Let's go. Let's flip this over to ordinals for a second and talk a little bit about I it. I, mean, I I feel like a lot of people in the space hear this word, but they actually <laughs> don't know what the hell that is or what they're talking about. And it's been going on for over a year now. What are ordinals? Are they spam? Why are people all ruffled up about this? And what's your take on it? Oh, man. Well, I mean,
0: I, uh, I appreciate you guys for, for asking this question. I think it's important to kind of like talk about this because, uh, in my opinion, ordinals aren't necessarily a problem and we can talk about what they are. Um, you know, there's definitely bad behavior, uh, n- not following Bitcoin best practices happening on the Bitcoin blockchain which is upsetting people but I personally find the thing that's far far more horrifying is like hardcore Bitcoiners you know starting to like advocate for things that I think many Bitcoiners would have thought uh, unspeakable a few years ago you know filtering, fee paying transactions um, soft forking in order to like cut out certain usage hard forking to cut out certain usage uh regretting soft forks that have happened in the past um wanting to take them out the you know this kind of stuff um i would say like that is is pretty worrisome and i've been publicly kind of calling it out um as well as like you know i think like there's just been like bad faith arguments and like personal attacks when i think good faith bitcoiners are trying to call out things within our community that i i think are are inappropriate and and not productive um so you know I, I think that it's been super important to talk about that stuff especially because like i consider myself a bitcoiner and i see that like the bitcoin community you know behaving ways that i just don't think is good um so i mean i'm happy to talk about like all the specifics around like this specific debate but that's like the meta call out i want to make is like hey you know uh there are like certain fundamental beliefs about bitcoin that mm. we claim to cherish and and hold dear and You know, are why we're bullish on Bitcoin. Like, you can't also say that those things are broken by Ordinals. (laughs) You know, you can't—they can't be. Why you're bullish and they don't work simultaneously. So we can kind of talk about that. But I guess I'm curious for you guys. I don't—I'm—I'm unsure how familiar y'all are with Ordinals. Like, if I were to ask you, Dan, or you, Josh, what are Ordinals? What are inscriptions? What are BRC20? Could you—could you guys like give like an elevator pitch or a description?
2: I mean, the basic idea is these are NFTs, non-fungible tokens that are coordinated with specific sets. So you could have a rare set, and you could, they could reference, I mean, it, however, it, it's kind of like the way it worked on Ethereum. They're referencing a JPEG or referencing um, something else with this fungible token. The, I guess where I don't really truly understand this is how it, it's basically that they're trying to get these through as fast as possible. Fees be damned, so they can add ridiculous fees to these
1: things, kind of pushing out other transactions in the in the process. Let me let me go a little further, and I'm actually in so doing. I'm gonna take a little bit of the side of of the skeptic on these as I do this, and I know some of what I say may not be accurate. So essentially, we have to go back to kind of the basics. We did a Taproot upgrade. Now you have the ability in the witness data to to add data to Bitcoin, right? You can you can implant JPEGs into basically the, the transaction itself. I think one of the myths, and you can correct this if I'm wrong on this, and I'm relying some on Guy Swan's material, is that you cannot tie one of these things to a SAT. You can insert the data into a, a transaction and then that can be referenced within your ordinal's wallet. But I think what is concerning some Bitcoiners is that I'm trying to think about how to put this, but not all data on Bitcoin is the same. When we talk about Bitcoin's scarcity and, and what's been discovered, Bitcoin can reliably enforce Bitcoins. Those are what are protected by UTXOs. The data in Bitcoin is not scarce. What's scarce is the enforcement of only 21 million units protected cryptographically. The same does not apply to ordinals and inscriptions. So I think for me, and I'll fill in some of this later, but I am totally in alignment that some of the rhetoric on what needs to be done with Bitcoin is just unworkable and kind of absurd. Like censoring fee-paying transactions, hard forking, even soft forking, and disallowing things that are... You can put this data on Bitcoin, right? I mean, it is, it is allowed currently and to make drastic change seems rash. What does concern me though is people describing implanting this data on Bitcoin as though it's the same and, it's, and it, it, it has the same robust scarcity and enforcement and decentralization and application of Bitcoin itself. You're implanting data on a blockchain and there is something there in terms of a permanent record of things. But that is very, very different than Bitcoin. And I'm not saying we need to do anything drastic about it. I'm just saying there's going to be a lot of people confused in this next cycle about about what Bitcoin really is and it has the potential, just as crypto is done more broadly, to tarnish Bitcoin's narrative. When you get rugged because somebody put a dick pic in a in the witness data and they're like, wait a second, this isn't actually scarce. Anyone can access this on their node. I'm the my ordinals wallet is actually not the same as Bitcoin. It's not in for- there's going to be confusion. People are going to get rugged. I think I'm confused at this point because are
2: there actually people that think that this is more scarce than Bitcoin or somehow Bitcoin scarcity affects these JPEGs because that is absurd on its face. And something I didn't even there realize. There will be though that people I were mean, doing.
1: everybody thinks crypto is the same as Bitcoin right True. now. So they're gonna think they're gonna think this is Bitcoin. I'm just talking about from a public narrative perception standpoint.
2: I agree with CK though, right off the top, which is you're saying the cure is worse than the disease. So if you're going to try to manipulate Bitcoin or you want to fork Bitcoin totally. or you wanna adjust Bitcoin to stop the implementation of these ordinals. That's where the true danger lies. That's where the real bear trap is for people to step in. Completely agree. And I think that is incredibly dangerous rhetoric to be passing around. Not only that, but it's unworkable. I mean, if, if there can be a contention of people that can make Bitcoin change, if it can be hard forked because of ordinals or JPEGs, then this whole project is kind of a joke. Because if, you, if these things can actually affect people's opinion on this to the degree that they would allow the change, then... When the government's boot starts coming down on you, you better believe it's going to change
1: yeah wait I got one I know we're teeing off here but i'm I am steel manning a little bit like it's not just pie in the sky that the fees are really high right now now the counter like so it is impacting Bitcoin like and and how people use Bitcoin now here's where I would push back on people that are concerned with that, regardless the fees are going to be very high on the base chain eventually, and if you think that the monetary use case of Bitcoin is as momentous as we suggest it's going to be, then settlement on that base layer is going to be very expensive, whether there's ordinals and inscriptions or not. But I'm just saying people have some valid concerns looking at adding this data, For driving sure. up transaction fees, making settlement more expensive. All right. Floor is yours, CK. All right. Um, so I asked
0: you both like, what are ordinals, what are inscriptions, what are BRC20 needs? neither of you actually described what both of what any of those things are so it it makes me (laughs) think that you guys actually don't know what they are fire away so on the base level everything that you guys described to me is like semi-right semi-conflating lots of things together so i i tweeted this out and i posted about this on nostr you can't fix something that you can't even articulate so it's like from the start all of this anger, all of this upsetness, it's, it's, it's based on ignorance, not understanding. So if I ask you what are ordinals, like specifically what are ordinals and what makes them different than inscriptions, can either of you guys tell me?
1: The ordinals reference, so this is my understanding. You're putting data in the witness data of a transaction and then those, it's so order. What
0: you described right there, that is an inscription.
1: Right. So you're putting an inscription in and then your ordinal's wallet or your ordinal is referencing the order that those inscriptions have happened on Bitcoin through time. And then then value is assigned based on what order that's in.
0: So you got it. So effectively, an inscription is a transaction that's putting arbitrary data into Bitcoin. That's what an inscription is. That was possible before Taproot. That was possible before SegWit segwit and then taproot which brought us lightning network which bring us bit vm things that we want things that we are called that so a lot of people are calling bugs were put in place on purpose and they were actually done so to fix other bugs so like when people are saying taproot is a bug taproot has a bug like the things that they're referencing other developers that actually developed this said like no like we did this on purpose this is to fix other bugs yeah. This is to allow Miniscript to, to one, go to the yeah. next level. This is to do this stuff. So, again, like, the, it, putting the arbitrary data in was always possible by creating more capability that people want or all the other things that they want. Technically, Taproot and then Segwit, or sorry, Segwit and then Taproot made it easier and made it cheaper. This is one of the things people are upset about is it is now 4x cheaper and that's not hundred percent accurate. That's just high level to put some of this arbitrary data in, into a block rather than, um, you know, a straight transaction that doesn't use the seg- information for its bytes. Yep. So that's something that is a legitimate, like, okay, that was an unforeseen consequence. And people are maybe a little upset about that, that, you know, that could be legitimate. My question to those people that's is a, like,
1: that's a big deal though. Like that's a big deal.
0: The fact that it's four times cheaper. It's kind of a big deal. And this is where the, 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 like the Bitcoiners being inconsistent uh, comes in. It's like, okay, financial transactions are still exponentially more dense than any arbitrary debt. So it's like, yes, are financial transactions exponentially dense or not? If, if they are, if monetary maximalism is a description of how the world works, then you can't argue that just this or change is breaking Bitcoin it's inconsistent. right? So let's stay intellectually consistent. So now, so I described what an inscription is. Now let's describe what ordinals are. Ordinals aren't even Bitcoin. Ordinals is a Dewey Decimal System on top of Bitcoin. Someone is taking a new protocol that was released less than two years ago, like 13 months ago, and they're indexing a Bitcoin node with it. So it's a completely new protocol. You can I think it's fair to call it a shared hallucin- hallucination. Okay? But this shared hallucination and people claiming that the shared hallucination that has no Lindy tracks inscriptions, which that is, like you said, Dan, does not track, is not enforced by the Bitcoin protocol because it's a whole new thing. Mm. Yeah. That, is, that shared hallucination is enough to drive so much activity on Bitcoin that it's actually pricing out a lot of I would say like mispriced activity. Like Bitcoin has been unfairly cheap for five mm. plus years, right? Yeah. So this has been yep. mispriced economic activity. And now this shared delusion, you could call it technically, technologically shared. It's a fucking delusion because it's not enforced by a Bitcoin. It's enforced by a new protocol. No one actually understands how that protocol's governance works. No one understands how that protocol's consensus works. At least it's not widely shared, nor is it debated. That is what is driving so much activity that is making these people lose their mind. Look, Bitcoin block space was mispriced. Spam, shared delusion, market misaction is repricing that block space. But if you can't even describe what I just described to you in that clarity, With that much understanding, are you in position to talk about changing Bitcoin to stop the things you don't even understand? Like, did I teach you something about how this stuff works? I think I did. Right? Like this is that this is this like I know I'm I'm talking about a lot of different things, but like it's
1: important to understand this stuff before you try to change Bitcoin about it. For sure. Now, hold on one second. You you also have to define who you're talking about right like for example I'm a lot of about people that debating the average debating listener of this show the, the average person on twitter the average listener of this show is not advocating to change bitcoin nor are we there's never one time in history that Josh or I have ever said we need to we've never we've never once said we need to soft fork hard fork or do anything okay and i think most people are in that camp yeah we have not said anything publicly about changing
2: any of this
0: stuff a, a lot of influencers on twitter are call them out who are they you can go on twitter uh, I'm not going to call out names. I think that there's a lot of people that I respect for a long time. who have been here for a long time that are, but their understanding is, is rudimentary. Like they, like they don't even know what we're talking about.
1: I understand that. First of all, I, my perception, you pay a lot I think there's way fewer people than you're indicating. I can think of one name. I mentioned him earlier in the show that's been really vocal about this, but most people are just debating it and talking about it, which they have every right to do. Bitcoin is complex, right? And so we're not going to be at a level of technical aptitude of other people. We are smart enough to come in to know that I understand an ordinal is an off-chain pointer to a location on-chain. It's a separate protocol. But narratives rule the world. They matter. And people are feeling the effects of this move. Like the, the on-chain fees are going mm-hmm. up. Dave, our friend, texted me the other day and said, holy fuck, it just cost me $50 to move my Bitcoin." Like, he's like, what the fuck's going on? I never knew about this. So maybe it's poor education, but it has real tangible impact on plebs that have been DCAing for three years. They have every right to not understand it completely and still ask questions and have opinions. Totally. Well, I mean, hey, I don't know if they
0: they have a right to necessarily have a a strongly held, poorly uh, uh, informed opinion. I, I think that we should call that out. My question is, is, if there's not so many people who actually feel this way, why is there not enough courage to call this, this narrative out? Why is, there not, why is there not enough courage to tell uh, so-and-so influencer, I, again, I don't want to call out their name on this podcast, so that's not the point. You Anyone who spent yeah. enough time on Twitter knows who these people are. Why is there not enough courage to call this out?
2: Well, I think there's a people there's people in the middle ground too. Like I would never have stated that I completely understand this ordinal situation and not well enough to have a strong opinion on Twitter to tell people and influence people in one way or another. I'm kind of sure. sitting back here never. absorbing this stuff. And honestly, ordinals have never been interesting enough for me to really dive down and truly digest because there's so much other shit going on in the macro world, in the financial world, in just regular Bitcoin discourse. If There's something takes 60% on, of
0: Bitcoin transactions, you should probably should figure out what well, the heck that is.
2: I, I agree. And I'm not I'm not disregarding it. But what I'm saying is there this show doesn't focus on ordinals. We tertiarily understand what they are. And we're not making any kind of statements, plus or negative towards them.
1: Also, the the fact that it's taking up 60% of transactions imbues a necessary degree of interest and skepticism. So another point I would make is that And I actually, this is a separate part of my life, but I am completely of the disposition with you. I have a whole blog post I titled, Bold Claims Need Backup. So it depends on how bold your claim is. If you're asking questions and inviting discourse on Twitter and trying out ideas, that's one thing. It's another thing altogether to say, I don't know anything about this or I don't have a full understanding of it. And I think we need to hard fork Bitcoin or censor these transactions. So the bolder the claim, the more backup it requires. If you are out there saying those things, advocating for those things, I 100% agree. You need a deep, thorough understanding. But the average person doesn't have that understanding and the average person's not out there making those big claims. They're just exploring and unpacking this whole thing. Sure. One point that you made earlier that I really liked, Christian, was, and this is to, this is to, to basically really caution people against... Hamstringing this is that drawing that distinction between what an inscription is and an ordinal is and saying if we start fiddle fucking with what can and cannot go in the in, in an inscription in the witness data a we're going to affect things that have already been innovated on this and allow for scaling and all this stuff but b we're going to hamstring innovation and permissionless growth in the future like you referenced miniscript so fucking with bitcoin is a really really dangerous game and if we start playing around and saying, we need to make all these changes, it's sort of Pandora's box. It's never going to end. And I think there's an element with which even if you think, oh, fuck, like it, the, the, the fee structure's fucked. It shouldn't be 4X cheaper or whatever. You kind of need to say, this is the girl you brought to the party. Start appreciating her, dancing with her because she's still the prettiest girl in the room. Even if you think this is a negative for Bitcoin, <laughs> you're there, baby. You got to start fucking dancing.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, dude, the these people, these people I'm talking to, if you're listening to this, I'm pissing you off. I'm talking about you. Like, you are bears. Like you think NFTs broke Bitcoin? Like absolute bearish. This is insane. We're talking about the most (laughs) bullish technology invented in the age of the internet. Something that's gonna completely change the world in terms of value transfer, value denomination. It's going to be able to help us scale to the next level. You think that, that a shared delusion on a brand new protocol that, look, there's nothing you can do on Bitcoin that stops people from doing things on a different protocol. Like, ORD is a shared delusion. Like, you have to even understand what it is. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's, a, it's permissionless. Like, so you th- do you think that Bitcoin like, shouldn't be permissionless? Like, you think that we should give permission for the correct use cases? Like, do you even understand what this is in the first place? I'm trying to give Bitcoiners a pep talk here. It's like, what is Bitcoin? <laughs> you know, what about Bitcoin stops spam? What was the innovation? Like, Satoshi figured out how to solve the Byzantine generals problem. That means the generals could, the Byzantine generals problem is that the generals could not coordinate enough in order to attack the city at the same time without without messing up the other general so like we all are suffering from the byzantine generals problem on the internet whereas like we can't have scarce data because we don't know who's going to cheat the other by copying the data so by solving the byzantine generals problem on the internet satoshi created a mechanism that it creates consensus without asking for permission or needing trust and we can't actually do that better than it. Like, we can't mm. even create consensus and better than Bitcoin in order to change Bitcoin in the way that people want to. Like, Jock. Okay, I'm gonna call it someone. Giacomo Zuko said the inscribers and the rise." So I think, and you know, I don't think that samurai is a scam, but he said that they are the big blockers now. Be careful who you listen to. What I would say to that is like, no, be careful of people who want to change the current state of the network and, and are saying That's that the, the current yeah. state, like it wasn't the, we are the smart small blockers and we beat the bad big blockers. It was the group who wanted to keep the current state of the network and accept the reality of the network and the group that could not. And now I'm clearly seeing these two paradigms emerge once again. It just so happens to be that the, the right, a lot of the people that were on the, the right group now find themselves, mm. their narrative is breaking. So Dan, when you say, hey, inscriptions are taking 60% of the transactions, BRC20, which we didn't even get into. And I'm, I'm confident that no one, most people listening to the show don't actually know what it is. So I can explain it to them. But like, yep. we're not like, why are they taking 60% of the, the transactions? You said that it should make people ask questions. Yeah, they should ask questions about their own narrative. Why was their narrative this wrong? Like,
2: what, what about this situation do they not understand? What are, what are some good resources for this? Because I want to put them in the show notes because it's important for people, as you said, I want to, I want to read this stuff as well and take it more serious. But what are some good resources for truly drinking this stuff in?
0: The, the guy who invented ordinals, who actually is one of the smartest Bitcoiners out there, one of the most principled Bitcoiners out there who understands the system better than most people who are LARPing on the internet. His name is Casey Rodemar. He does a podcast. You can go listen to all of his podcasts. It's called Hell Money Podcast. Uh, he's described this stuff for a long time. So um, he actually leads the Bit devs in, in San Francisco. Like this guy is a real Bitcoin developer who understands Bitcoin really well. Um, he created a shared delusion, which is mis- it's, it's, it's completely mischaracterized. Scam artists are completely leveraging it to scam a lot of people who also like most people investing in ordinals don't understand what ord is don't understand what an inscription is don't understand that your a bitcoin node does not allow for transfers of inscriptions that ownership of an inscription is a delusion based on ord they don't understand any of that so like bitcoiners are right about a lot of things here there are a lot of scams going on but fundamentally it's like look bitcoin is permissionless and there's a reason why that's important so if you don't even understand what you're criticizing effectively what it turns into is you're advocating for bitcoin to not be permissionless you're like Mm. like there's this really dumb argument out there it's like it's not censoring fee-paying transactions we're filtering out obvious spam and obvious spam has been filtered out in the past of bitcoin it's like okay Well, look, the precedent set in the past of Bitcoin is irrelevant for the future because the context Bitcoin is existing in is completely different and will continue to be completely different until after the halvings are over. Like the context will always be different. So the previous context does not matter for how Bitcoin changes because that precedent is irrelevant. But let me just like continue on top of that. On top of that, these people that want to filter out obvious spam... The fact that it's not obvious, the fact that we can't come to consensus on that means that it's not obvious spam by definition. And then on top of that, the goal of these people is not to filter it on their node, not to filter it on their pool. It is for everyone to filter it. So so that is actually, by definition, saying something that is now viable on the network. We want that to be gone. We want to not be possible in the future. That is their stated. So it's like, call it what it is. It is they want to censor. And here's the problem. As soon as you can prove and do that successfully, there is nothing stopping that from being done based on any other freak out, which is usually not driven by logic or reality of anything else. So Bitcoin must stay permissionless. The state of the network, the physical network and what is a valid thing on that network, that must always be what we protect because slippery slopes get slipped on. That's the whole freaking point. That is mm-hmm. the whole freaking point.
2: Yeah. And if you're not following here, like this is a really simple cascade of events that could potentially happen. The problem is if, if you're angry enough about this and you are influential enough about this to, to, to cause people to want to change the fundamentals of Bitcoin, you've destroyed Bitcoin fundamentally. I mean, I could even see a conspiracy theory world where this is an attack vector by state actors and they, I mean, who knows what kind of troll farms could be perpetuating this kind of stuff to get, or to even use this as a litmus test to see, can we get them to change something here? Because we can fucking, you know, quote unquote, spam this network until we cause them enough discomfort where they change something. And then that act of having changed something is the slippery slope you're describing. And that certainly
1: would be used in the future to... Censor transactions, potentially and and I think what's maybe most interesting about this discussion so far is this discussion is with a human rights activist. You are as incentivized as anyone on the planet to make this work for everyone. And you're you guys are also cognizant of how slippery slopes can get. Like a word like spam is as subjective as a word like hate speech. It's at the eye of the beholder. It can change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. and, I think a lot of people that are deeming this spam have to become aware of their own subjectivity. Like At the end of the day, Bitcoin has enabled a permanent and immutable set of data. Yes, what I said before is true. Bitcoin itself only enforces the scarcity of one thing. But the data itself exists forever because of how decentralized it is. And let's just take an example of something that most of these hardcore people would agree with putting in an inscription, like the cypherpunk manifesto. That sounds cool. Let's get that in there. But this random dick pic, you can't. But if you start picking and choosing and deciding what's spam and what's not, and it requires drastic change to the underlying existing protocol, starts to get worrisome. I kind of go back to my point of like, if you are somebody that's saying Bitcoin needs to change and it needs to change quickly, we should always be skeptical of that Mm. person. At the same time, we should be having conversations about Bitcoin. I think of Bailey, for example. He's very slow to want to change Bitcoin, but he also admits like there are going to be points in the future where some changes are going to have to be made because of inevitable outcomes. So I don't know. It's good that we're having this discussion. And it's, and the narrative, like the narrative you're putting out needs to keep getting out there because I think what's frustrating for a lot of technically minded individuals is that. Narratives matter a fuck ton, dude. If you don't win the Bitcoin narrative war, you don't win. You don't win. And this is why there are people that disagree with this. Why
0: I'm like this is why I'm not letting the loud people be the only loud voices. And like, look, a lot of people like attack me with ad hominem attacks. Like, you used to work for Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, You show whatever. Like, look, if an honest Bitcoiner who's been working in Bitcoin for five and a half years can't real talk to the Bitcoin community, how can you reflect? And I can't do that in honesty. I can't do that from an honest perspective. Like, so it, there's a lot of weakness out there. There's a lot yeah. of sheep these days. And I'm, I, I, I have to call them out because, well, like, Bitcoin needs to be built by strong, independent, logically driven people. And look, I'm not technical. And I thank you for saying I'm a humanitarian. I've been here for four months. Like, I don't think I, I earned that. I think all Bitcoiners are humanitarians, but. You know, I'm not special. Like, I don't speak for the Human Rights Foundation in in my criticism here. I'm speaking as a Bitcoin. I'm speaking as, like, a logical person that is. Like, I I truly believe in, like, the uncensorable, the permissionlessness thing that is this network. And, like, I I get upset when I see people speaking based on poor information and then people who, who are... Like forsaking the, th- the very thing that they claim to, to hold dear. Mm. So it's like, mm. where's the courage in speaking against that? Um, yeah, I mean, D- Josh, I, w- I know you want to you jump in. I also do want to actually explain BRC20 because I think it's important for people yeah, I actually to actually understand what it is.
2: It's very stupid. It's very stupid. But yeah, I just real quick, though, I want to just add this because Dan was just talking about that political whenever someone is trying to force something with an emergency act or in in haste, it's important to remember that political credo never let a good crisis go to waste. That is the way people operate when they want to force something on you that you don't fully understand and they want to do it quickly. Go on, Christian.
0: Yeah, I mean, gentlemen, like uh, I'm frightened by the level of confusion and cognitive dissonance here and just to like rally on what you just said josh you know people think that there's a bug in SegWit, think that there's a bug in taproot think that ordinals and uh, inscription should be banned and that the only way to scale bitcoin is to do another soft fork ctv and this is not even like a criticism on ctv itself it's like we should not put this <laughs> soft fork in to fix these other things like it's like full stop Stop! Stop! It's like if you think that these other things were done in haste and have bugs in them, why are we going to like? Why is this the moment to activate another soft fork? We just got Taproot. Like, like it's like if I'm following your logic correctly, a lot of people out there like, what the actual f are we doing? So, like again, I'm not trying to say anything about CTV. I don't actually know that much about CTV. You know what I want to do? I'm going to talk to CTV bulls and bears and try to understand it, right? Like, I'm not going to try to activate it to solve previous mistakes. I'm going to activate it because it makes sense for Bitcoin in the future. I know Jeremy personally, and I supported him when people were stoning him. And again, I think Bitcoiners shouldn't stone people because you might regret it because people made Jeremy, the guy who created CTV, rage quit Bitcoin. <laughs> like... He's not coming back to Bitcoin until someone gives him a multi million dollar contract. That is his line <laughs> in the sand. So it's like, was that good for Bitcoin? People who you know are white knighting for saving Bitcoin and stopping us from spam, like no, like maybe maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you you shouldn't like do ad hominem attacks to people and call people scammers without even understanding. Like oh, yeah. I'm all for the white blood I like cells, it. but like. You know, there are autoimmune disease too, okay? Like, white blood yeah. cells can act out of line. And, like, you, you got to do it the right way. You got And, like, you don't attack your own before you really understand what's happening. I think, like, that's important. Like, we're all on Team Bitcoin here. Let's talk BRC20. So, BRC20, like, I think it goes, like, unless Ord Protocol gets Lindy that is so strong that all of the world or the majority of the world is like actually referencing it. BRC20 inscriptions, I guess BRC20 and ordinals, NFTs traded on Bitcoin won't be a thing. Like it, it's, it'll be a flash in the pan. But like, let's just pretend that Ord protocol, the Dewey Decimal System for Bitcoin gets Lindy and matters, right? So what are BRC20? So BRC20 effectively, it There are JSONs. So it's a small script of information that effectively mints a set of tokens. You can like think of this as like instead of doing a using inscriptions to do a JPEG, you're using inscriptions to create a Yapstone for X amount of tokens. Right. So this Yapstone's on Bitcoin. It's a like JSON file and it says like, Here's one that sold for lots of money and went to the moon,.com. So it's like, this is a virtual Yapstone on the Bitcoin blockchain that represents 50,000.com tokens. And then they use like the, the inscription, like SAT tracking method in order to transfer ownership of, like, said, like Yapstone of 50,000 tokens. But you can't even split up. like you can't be like, "I'm sending you one.com token. <laughs> they're all stuck together. Like, they're all, like, it's yeah. all one thing. So, like, the innovation, innovation, if you're listening to this without the video, I'm doing, like, quote marks with my fingers. Like, the innovation is actually security law evasion innovation. The thing that's innovative about BRC20 token, it's, like, it's like literally, the tokens have no value. They are pump-and-dump schemes. Like, that's blatant. But... The way that they're minted is actually like a fair market uh, minting mechanism. The person says, like, here's the spec for .com. I'm minting X amount. And then there's this massive rush for people to copy and mint it. And, like, they'll be like, hey, there's going to be 100,000 .com tokens. So once all 100,000 have been minted into these, like, yapstones on Bitcoin, you know, um, there's, like then all the supply is done and you can't get com. Anymore. You can't mint com for free anymore for a transaction fee. So that has been a massive driver for why the fees keep going up is because people will like put out this meme token that means nothing, but legally you can create it and mint it without creating a security. Everything boils down to they want to be able to print money without breaking securities law, without Uncle Sam coming after them. So this actually did it. So now you're seeing like BRC20 format going to all the other shitcoin chains because you can do that for way cheaper because it's not actually Bitcoin. Um, But like, again, yep, like it's stupid. Yes, but like, it's so stupid. It just might work is actually what the situation is with BRC20. And that's that's why people are doing it because they can pay what you consider to be an astronomical transaction fee in order to print a token that might, a meme token that might moon without breaking securities, being involved in issuing a security. I don't think that's good behavior. I don't think that's great, but I get it. I get it. Like we live in clown world. Yeah. Like everyone's a speculator now because the money's broken. Like the SEC is going after whoever they can afford to go after. Like people figured out a way to evade SEC another way. The The scammers figured out how to evade Uncle Sam another way. Like, they're gonna do it. Like, and yes, that is going to price out a lot of stuff on the Bitcoin blockchain. It probably will pass. Ultimately, it's like, hey, you know, Bitcoin is gonna have high fees, like you said. If Bitcoin's anti fragile, this is gonna make the Bitcoin ecosystem stronger. If Bitcoin's fragile, it'll make the Bitcoin ecosystem weaker. What do you think hmm, it is? Well said. Do you believe that this is an anti fragile yeah. system or not? Um, I believe it's an anti fragile system. does that help under like you guys actually get brc20
1: what's happening here yeah yeah um wait one question and then i want to make a comment uh do you not that this is maybe your primary concern but it's going to be on a lot of people's radars back to narratives mattering and boomer politicians making really impactful decisions at least in the short and medium term do you have any concern about this stuff uh infringing upon the commodity label for bitcoin from an SEC regulatory standpoint? I'm not a lawyer, so I can't. Um, it could be an
0: attack vector. like Shitcoins being minted on Ethereum has never prevented Ethereum from being wrongfully, wrongfully labeled a commodity. I think I, like, if you zoom out, like there's two types of Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners that think shitcoins are bad for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners that think shitcoiners are good for Bitcoin. I think everything is good for Bitcoin. My, like, my mental gymnastics for why shitcoins are good for Bitcoin Is because shit coins are actually a DDoS on regulators. So I think the shit coins have always been miles ahead of the regulators. Like, okay, the regulators might come after Bitcoin. If regulators can take down Bitcoin, like (laughs) Bitcoin's fucked, guys. So like, I'm not like, I'm not actually concerned because Mm. I think Bitcoin is not. Like regulators can make life really hard for Bitcoiners living in their jurisdiction. That's undeniable. I'm not arguing against that. But Bitcoiners aren't Bitcoin and Bitcoin isn't Bitcoiners. Like you have to separate those things. I don't think regulators are an issue for Bitcoin in the long run. I don't think regulators, I think Bitcoin is an anti-fragile system. And when regulators come down on it, it makes Bitcoin better. Like the system reacts Hmm. organically and gets better. And I mean, and I think that that happens without coordination. Like if, if the action to make Bitcoin better requires like a ton of coordination, like I don't think that that's that. What you think it is you know a lot of people are like we need to coordinate to filter out this spam it's like you're already missing the permissionless way that bitcoin gets better by by uh engaging with with uh you know volatility and engaging with uh with stressors um all that happens permissionlessly so um i mean that, that's my worldview on bitcoin and i thought that that the, the, like i thought that that was everyone else's worldview, and i'm shocked i'm shocked that like they're appearing that, like, they either didn't believe what they actually said or, or that, you know, that this worldview is actually, you know, not really, you know, again, I don't think people believed it. Uh, this is why people were
1: bullish on Bitcoin. I'm confused. Well, your conviction comes through and for very good reason. As a friend of yours, honestly, I'm kind of to try to inject a little more optimism because I think you're massively over exaggerating the number of people that want to change Bitcoin. I think you're misconstruing a lot of, like, I like how you brought up white blood cell awareness, like, well, what the fuck's that over there for like actual true advocacy for changing Bitcoin. I don't think there's actually that many people that plan to act on that. And I think a lot of people do share the disposition I started with, which I actually stand by a lot of how I introed when you ask our thoughts on it. You have to think about everyone's perspective. So as a couple of firefighters who do Bitcoin part-time, we invest a ton of energy in Bitcoin. There's no way we can understand these. Things. A, we're not technical coders. B, we don't have unlimited time. And and so I think but we still try to do our due diligence, but from our lens, the thing that concerns us the most is scams, people getting scammed, people people conflating hollow, worthless bullshit for the most pristine, important protocol and asset on the planet. This is where I think we totally align. You're not here saying, Yo, guys, these ordinals and these BRC20s are going to be worth a ton of money or even exist in five years. You're just threatening if we try to cut them off at the knees, we maim the entire creature or potentially really thwart its ability to thrive in the wild. And I think that is the really important point. You can, in one breath, say, yo, these things are going to be fucking worthless. And then in the other breath, be consistent and say, but there's no chance that we should try to regulate. And censor what is and is not spam. Do you think that's a fair kind of view to have on this, or tone to have on it, or what's your? Thought I mean, there? I
0: think that that's fair, and there's a lot of smart people that have said that. Um, I guess I would say is like we can't even change it. So the only thing that we can, yeah. the only thing we can do is destroy our reputation, and I think that that would be bad for Bitcoin if, like. The Bitcoin ecosystem that currently exists, the Bitcoin only ecosystem, this infrastructure destroys its reputation just like in 2017. How the entire business infrastructure, you know, don't mm. forget that prior to 2017, okay, let's say the scammers, the big blockers, they were the biggest advocates of Bitcoin and they got pissed because their narrative started to diverge from the state of the network. Okay. So hmm. I, I'm concerned that like well-meaning Bitcoiners that are like, hey, you should stack sats and do it in this way and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, they actually scammed their friends into putting all of their transactions into dust transactions that they never consolidated. They never planned on having a base layer network that was extremely expensive to interact on. And look, the well-meaning good people turned into the scammers eventually, and they couldn't handle the fact that they gave bad investment advice and that they gave bad advice uh, about Bitcoin and that their Bitcoin businesses were failing because they're, be- they're built on false narratives. And then the network diverged from their reality, and then they became the freaking problem. And I'm just trying to mm-hmm. tell people like, self-awareness is super important here. It's super freaking important when your things. narrative diverges from the state of the network Like, there's nothing you can do. You can't out-coordinate the network. So the only thing you can do is self-reflect, come up with a more accurate narrative and move forward, or you're going to become deranged. You're going to rage quit. And we've seen it happen to the staunchest Bitcoin advocates. Roger Ver was known as Bitcoin Jesus. Okay? (laughs) Like, there could be no (laughs) no higher praise of a person And like, look at him now. (laughs) Like that can be all of us. And I I say that I've been saying this for a long time. Bitcoiners really misallocate how early we are and like that can Mm. get them wrecked. Misallocating how freaking early we are is going to make you make bad decisions. And that's like a meta, that's a meta awareness, I think. But like that turns into actual practical in game time decisions that are more well-informed in my
2: opinion. I think that's an important place to send this before we, before we end this, which is how early are we? I've heard you be incredibly articulate about how insanely early you think we are and where this thing's going. You said something along the lines of one Bitcoin could be sovereign status <laughs> at some point in the future. Give us that, that lullaby before we end this thing.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to do my best to not be too much of a hopium dealer because a lot of my critics say I'm just a hopium dealer But I'll I'll unpack it, dude. Sling it. You've you've been
1: slinging, killing it. Sling it, dude. No, I'm I'm
0: I'm I'm gonna unpack my mental model here, uh, so that way uh, you know people can try to understand where I'm coming from. Um, So I think that Bitcoin has binary outcome. You know, I think there's three logical mental models for Bitcoin: hyperbitcoinization. That's scenario number one. So everything divided by 21 million. That's the ultra bowl scenario, and I think in that scenario it's impossible to be bullish enough because we are in a lesser paradigm. Like we can't actually, that is the Bitcoin is a paradigm shift scenario. And we actually can't even think about the future paradigm because we're not in it. It's like, if you're a caveman, how can you think about what the city looks like? You can't. So it just, yeah. if Bitcoin is a paradigm shift, no one's bullish enough. Scenario number two is Bitcoin fails, which apparently a bunch of Bitcoiners think is possible. I don't think it's super possible, but, um, uh, it, it, I think it is, you have to like give that possibility Bitcoin could fail. What that means is Bitcoin is so irrelevant that no one talks about it, thinks about it. It does not matter. Just like whatever was the competitor, TCIP, like no one gives a shit about it. Like, so yep. that like Bitcoin could be that. And then scenario number three, which I think is the least likely scenario, Jeff Booth agrees with me on this, is Bitcoin is just some other asset. So I think that a lot of Bitcoiners. They, they actually use, that is their mental model for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is digital gold amongst other assets. It's not yeah. going to be the denominator or it, 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 it is just some other asset, even if it's a really freaking good asset. I personally think that is the least likely scenario. So like I think that, that the scenario for that is almost zero. There's almost no point of for planning for that scenario. That is the least interesting scenario. That's where Bitcoin is the least impactful. Bitcoin is just some other asset. Again, that's the current
2: paradigm, so that's where most people are. That makes a ton of sense, though, if you think about it, because human nature is just we we always kind of look at our current standard and reflect on that, and then we compare maybe like the future bias and the most recency bias to the current status quo, right? So, like ten years ago, twenty thirteen, there were certainly people that would have been like, "Yeah, Bitcoin will be fifty thousand dollars at some point in the future," but. For most people, the vast majority, like 99.9%, who didn't maybe really see this thing, like the Hal of the world would have, they probably thought this, this thing will probably just be a fizzle in the pot. It'll be worth 10 bucks at some point. That's how most of the yeah. world still sees it. Well, right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, as we move our way up here, the, the, the goalposts shift now. So, like, oh, 500,000 now seems like it's in play. That's about comparable to gold. And, you know, that's where people are kind of, that's where the 99.9% are sitting.
0: If we take Bitcoin out of the paradigm of like, okay, Bitcoin is digital gold amongst other assets, let's just say that that's not in play, all right? Then the scenarios are Bitcoin zero or infinity divided by 21 million. So let's talk about infinity divided by 21 million. First of all, like the only one who is bullish enough on electricity was Nikola Tesla. And there's multiple companies named (laughs) after him. He's a legend. He's the only one. So none of us are like smart enough to... If like Electricity was a paradigm shift. If Bitcoin yep. is a paradigm shift in economic, the economic substrate, then like, it will be impossible to understand what the world is going to look like in that scenario. So what you need to do is you need to adjust for ridiculous upside, right? So I, I often say 37 sats will be generational wealth. So let's unpack that. 37 sats is the block reward in, 30, in 93 years. So not like the total block reward in terms of the fees plus subsidy. It's just the subsidy. It's thirty-seven sats. It's also the only thing that's guaranteed. We know if Bitcoin is around in ninety-three years, we don't know what the fees are going to be like. We don't know what future technology is going to be like. We do know that thirty-seven sats will be will will be paying out miners, and that if hash rate goes parabolic, and if price goes parabolic, and if prosperity goes parabolic then more hashes will be pointed at that 37 sats than we can even comprehend today. Because like, look at any other paradigm shift in technology, they all go parabolic, right? It's like the internet created more information per second than ever existed when it was just analog libraries, right? So like, that is, that's the trajectory. So it's like, you know, today, we live better than King, like King's a hundred years ago. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything super crazy. I'm just assuming that Bitcoin's a paradigm shift. If it is a paradigm shift, then the, you know, the plebs of that paradigm will look better than kings today. And, and I'm trying to pr- price that in sats. That is, that is it. So it's like, th- that's my mental model is I'm saying that there's three scenarios, hyper Bitcoinization, Bitcoin zero, Bitcoin is just some other asset least likely is Bitcoin is just some other asset. Because if Bitcoin is a paradigm shift, everyone would think that Bitcoin is just some other asset before the paradigm shifts. Mm, like that exactly. is, yeah. yep. like it is baked into the paradigm shift that no one's going to freaking see it. <laughs> like that is what abo- yeah. paradigm shifts are. So it's like, if, if everyone could see the paradigm shift, everyone would be rich already. But that's why Bitcoin is so counterintuitive. Like Parker Lewis says this perfectly. Bitcoin, er, is, Bitcoin is counterintuitive and then Bitcoin is hyperintuitive. So if Bitcoin is this economic paradigm shift that we're all going to get on, like, it eventually will be hyperintuitive. But none of us can forecast what the world's going to look like when everyone's running on Bitcoin. So the only thing you can do is adjust. You have to try to adjust your forecast ridiculously to the upside, like more than you can imagine, more than even makes sense. Like <laughs> what, I- what would be correct if Bitcoin is a paradigm shift would sound crazy today. Like there's no other way. Like pricing it in dollars makes zero sense. You have to,
1: you have to, you have to price it in prosperity. It's gonna sound Dunworth crazy,
2: <laughs> Dunworth crazy, or Nikola Tesla crazy. You guys know that he actually believed he was speaking to Martians back in the early 1900s. He would tell people about the conversations he was having with them. Guy was a genius and went completely nuts. But probably those two things are married at the hip. You know, I took a
0: personality test and I know that I'm not that smart. So I, I think I'm safe. I'm safe from that. Clearly,
1: neither am I. We're right there with you, dude. Uh, there, there really aren't that many super smart people. There's a lot of like moderately intelligent, curious intellectuals, but the number of people that are actual geniuses is a lot lower than, than a lot of people think.
2: The biggest problem, from my perspective, is you can never figure out who they are when you're just an average person, because a genius or a fucking scammer could be fairly adjacent.
0: Yep. I mean, and again, there's a lot of practical geniuses, the genius visionaries... Like one, once in, in, a, in a paradigm, once in a generation, really. You know how genius Tesla was? Einstein thought he was a genius. Like <laughs> that, that, that does not happen.
1: Yeah. I was just going to close by saying, I think a, if we're just talking monetarily and about amassing a higher net worth, which we understand Bitcoin's about way more than that. But on that topic, I think one of the most painful scenarios... Let's let's play out this scenario where this thing does just take the fuck off, right, and really almost shock to the upside, which is which is possible. It's it's uh, it's on the bingo card for sure, and you're going to have people paying off their house and then realizing, oh my fucking god, if I'd held on to that five more years, it would have been generationally life changing. And I'm not here to tell anyone how to make decisions with your Bitcoin you only live once, life is short, I get it. But I would caution people because as we talk about the likelihood of those three possibilities, CK, if the first possibility does play out, there's going to be a lot of shot fakes Mm. where people think it's kind of arrived and then the thing pulls a spin move and takes it to the rack and does a 360. And I just, I think my main thing, if I was just talking to myself and other people is maybe hold on to more of your stack than you're even comfortable with. The risk-adjusted return on this gets better and better as it continues marching forward and as the market cap gets bigger. I mean, one of the things that I have told people these last few years is like, on a risk-adjusted basis, Bitcoin is a much better buy, in my opinion, right now at $45,000 than it was when we first started looking at it at $5,000. It's proven a lot more. It's been around a lot longer. It's on the desks of a lot of powerful people that are advocating for it. Look out. Look the fuck out, folks. It was a pleasure. I loved this one, dude.
2: I fucking loved this conversation, Snarks. Dude, CK took us to school today, Dan. That hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit,
1: but... It's awesome, though. This is what it's all about. Like, back to what this show is, which is how we started. This is for fun for us. Yeah, it's scaled beyond maybe what we anticipated initially, but we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to rub shoulders with with people that can keep pushing us in the right direction. So thanks man it was
0: awesome uh, I appreciate it thank you for uh, multiple times letting me uh, onto the show to, to speak my mind so I appreciate you guys you'll be on again my friend alrighty well uh, guys uh, I know you gave me multiple hours here so I don't want to take up more of your time I appreciate it
1: thank you we will link up a lot of what you mentioned particularly in the first part of this conversation i have got a set of notes here we'll get that stuff linked in the notes so Already, sir peace that's going to be it for this one. Thanks for listening. No matter what your thoughts are, I'm guessing we can all agree after hearing Christian's passion and perspective that we all need to think deeply about maintaining and fostering a trajectory in Bitcoin that prioritizes censorship resistance. The two of us have very limited knowledge and our viewpoints are regularly on the move, but I think one thing we can agree on at this stage is that we ought to be skeptical of anyone who wants to change the current state of the Bitcoin network, and even more skeptical of those who want to do so rapidly. If you are enjoying this show, do us a favor, take a minute to like and subscribe. In particular, a review on Apple or a subscription on YouTube help us expand our reach. We are also on Podcast 2.0 apps. You can go check out BCB on our favorite podcast app, that being Fountain, and earn free sats while listening. Until next week, I encourage you to take a moment to pause and appreciate your awareness and involvement in Bitcoin. This thing is truly extraordinary and truly special.